Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Mother's Day is coming up this weekend, and while you're thinking about how to honor your mom and what gift to get her, Mother's Day is often the date many of us in Pennsylvania circle to get the flowers, plants, and vegetables in the ground. We certainly have gotten our share of rain over the past 10 days or so, but eventually the sun will return, and so will warm springtime temperatures. While the ground is soft, maybe it's a good time to play in the dirt. Today is the Smart Talk designated for answering all your questions, Having to do with spring planning and gardening, our guest is Erica Jo Schaefer, nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill. Erica, it's always good to see you. Good morning, Scott. All right, this is one of those programs where you kind of run the program. Whatever your questions are about planting, flowers, gardening, trees, anything that grows in the ground, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Also, this is one of those times where we ask you to send your photographs of your beautiful flowers and plants, your gardens, send them to uh, WITF's Facebook page, and uh, we'll get those pictures on there so that everyone can enjoy. So how are you? This is uh, one of those shows that we, our listeners look forward to this every year. And I guess it's because of your personality. Well, our, our dandelion banter might have a little something to do with it, I think. Yeah, we should talk about that because not everyone has heard this before, but <laughs> you're a big lover of dandelions. Why am not? I am. I'm a professed lover of dandelions. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, why? Why? They're so abundant. They're so beautiful. They're medicinal. They break up our clay soils. They're for pollinators. They're gorgeous yellow. Okay, the pollinator um, part. I, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm not okay, going to disagree. Okay. Now, you, you always bring something, some kind of... Uh, uh, edible dandelion item for it's me. Kinda, it's kind of like an offering to Scott. Like I'm trying to lure you over to the other side. <laughs> to I the think. dandelion side. <laughs> All right. So what do you have today? Before uh, we answer the phones here, we have some calls already, but I'll get to them in just a moment. Well, today we have a dandelion blossom bread. Dandelion and, blossom bread. Yes. And um, some wild violets that were still had raindrops on them this morning from my garden. So, you know, again, wow. the lure. So I'm not e- I'm not even only just hitting you with some dandelion love. Do you see how I sneaked in the wild violets? I did. Now, yeah. that, that that makes a nice presentation too Thank you. on the Thank on the you. plate. It's it's gorgeous. Right, is, so, is that butter on the side? That is yes, that is Apple Valley butter, butter one of our um local farms. Okay. So, can you butter a piece of that for me? I can't come near the board with uh, with those crumbs. Well, of course, Scott. I can butter leave. your bread, yeah. your dandelion <laughs> blossom bread. There's something so I, I never have to thought feed I'd feed it to you too, right? No, no, it's something I well, you might have to throw it since I uh, <laughs> you know, again I can't eat while I'm on the board here. I'll have to mm-hmm. lean over. Okay. To, to let me make all... sure I sprinkle a nice amount of these wild violets oh, on here. All right. Let me, let me try this. Let's make this. this all beautiful. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm going to be off mic here for just a, just a second. Just a second because I can't get near the board with this thing. All right. Here we go. Here we go. You can right. do it. Here we go. You can do it. All right. Yeah? See, uh, I told myself I'm not going to... I'm not going to lie if this isn't good. Hey, hey, I'm I'm all about the truth. All right, this is good. It is good, isn't it? Um, Ha ha. I mean, not that I doubted you or anything, but uh, that's really good. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. How do you make that? Um, uh, Flour, also local honey, eggs, milk, um, baking powder. Where the dandelions come in? Um, Well, 
you pick them out of your chemical-free yard mm -hmm. and pluck the petals out of the um, bases. The bases are very bitter. So on my way home from Virginia yesterday, my friend and I, in her yard, quick team worked and plucked plucked uh, dandelion flowers and said hi to the bees, of course. We had to leave some for the bees. Mm -hmm. And then I got stuck on uh, 81 in the traffic yesterday at about 5 o'clock. Northbound was stopped. So I was... When life gives you lemons, make dandelion bread. <laughs> so I was plucking the petals out while I was sitting there. Wow. I'm very committed to this. This, this is, this is this my sounds... big moment to get dandelion love to everyone. So I gotta, it I sounds do my that part. way. <laughs> All right. Well, we have, I, I don't want to ignore it. I'm just going to say that I do like that. I'm going to have another bite here in a second when, when the uh, callers are asking questions. But let's go to Kevin in Harrisburg. Kevin, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. Uh, yeah, my question is that we have, I think, a very clay-heavy uh, front yard, right? The the dirt's very clay-heavy, and it's very patchy. Uh, the grass is very patchy, and I was just curious, what's what do you think the best process is for getting the grass to grow again in the front yard? Short of a bulldozer? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's starting over, but yeah, uh, yeah how do we get it uh, growing? Well, my heart's singing with the first answer, which would be to let your dandelions grow. Because the dandelions. Yeah, we do have, we yeah. actually have lots of dandelions in the front yard. I've actually thought about having a sign made that says, Our dandelions are intentional. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love you. All right, so what would the dandelions do to the this dandelions, clay? The dandelions, well, it's, it's that taproot. The clay is clay because the soil particles are so tight together that the water can't percolate down through. So the dandelion, the big dandelion taproot, starts to break through that clay and create air spaces. And as the air spaces are created, then the water gets down further. Then the earthworm population starts up, and the compost gets lower. So, for your answer, um, grasses grasses to me is like a spoiled child. And if the soil's not perfect, then you're always going to have that struggling. And then the the weeds, so-called weeds, are are opportunistic and will move in. So, start using. Uh, first, you should do a soil test, um, which Penn State has a great soil test for check your pH and check your nutrients. Move to all organics, so you can start to improve your soil. If it's like super super horrible, you may want to consider uh, a light rototilling and move some compost in, like leaf compost, to enrich that upper layer of your soil and then reseed. Now, when you say what, that uh, you need some help with it, what, what what's it look like? Oh, uh, it's very patchy out front. Yeah, so um, not, not, not a whole lot of grass to to be seen, but lots of dandelions. That's okay. awesome, and, and actually that's because they've moved in to do their job. So definitely gotcha. don't let anybody don't let anybody tell you to kill them, and I'm so like glad that you're not doing that because it's so helpful. Hmm. All right, Kevin, thank you very much for your call. Let's go to, let's see, Debbie in Pine Grove. Debbie, you're on the air. Hey, yeah, good morning. Good morning. Um, good morning. Uh, good morning, honey. I just moved here. I used to live in a house that had lots of sun, and I love the garden outside. My new house is underneath trees in the woods. I want to make a shade garden Ooh. with flowers. And uh, everything I've looked at is like, I'll plant hostas, which are nice. There are some pretty hostas. I really like the, um, the escargot hosta. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't find yeah, it anywhere, pretty, but yeah. what else can I plant in the shade that flowers? 
Well, there's a bunch, actually. I think the first thing you need to do is uh, temper your idea of, of like having a vibrant flowery garden. You can you yeah, can accomplish that with annuals. Yeah, vibrant flowers. <laughs> well, yeah, and though um, you you get to um, you get to play with textures more. And there are flowers. I mean, you can do. Um, in our area, you can do uh, astilbes, you can do begonias, you can do coral bells, you can do monkshood, you can do perennial geraniums, you can do toad lilies, you can do meadow rue. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot. So you, you have to wander over to Highland Gardens, I think, and see what, how big the crayon box is. Well, she's in Pine Grove. Oh, that's not that far. We're worth it. Well, we're worth the drive, <laughs> sister. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. All right, thank uh-huh, you very you. much for your call. We have an email here from Megan in Camp Hill. says, we bought a new house last fall and have really been enjoying seeing all the new plants and flowers sprout up and bloom. Everything is a surprise. In early spring, we had tulips, hyacinths, uh, daffodils, forsythia, and now we see lilacs and bridal wreath bushes blooming. But we're having a problem right now because we aren't gardeners. Things are coming up, and we don't know how to identify what is a perennial that we should keep and what are weeds. And there are some nice guides to help us. Are there some nice guides to help us identify those? Yes, your local garden center. Absolutely. Uh, You can uh, post on Facebook pages, you know, for identification, or you can bring pieces like six-inch pieces, or, you know, with all of us having our cell phones now, even close-up pictures, if you're going to a quality garden center, they're going to be able to whip out those names and tell you how to take care of them, if they're invasive, if it's something you want. You know, and that that holds true also when uh, people have insect or disease issues with their plants, or think they do. Sometimes it's not even that, to you know, to bring us a sample, and then we can kind of guide you through. Because you're in your spring, and now what does your early summer garden look like in your summer garden? So it's really nice the way that you're uh, being introduced to your garden and your new house. We have uh, uh, an email here from Julianne who asked if it would be possible to post your recipe. Absolutely. Um, so Erica always hangs around and answers questions uh, that we get yeah. online that haven't been answered on the air. So I'm sure you'll be glad. Yeah, to, absolutely. To, okay. and, and I got it online, too. It's not it's not an original recipe, and it's really yummy. <laughs> it so. is good. It is yeah. good. Okay. Uh, before we take more phone calls, get more emails. You know, I talk about this show and every year being unique. This year, you know, I think about uh, there were daffodils, tulips coming up late February, early Mm -hmm. March. Mm -hmm. uh, And the warm weather lasted into like mid-April. But it hasn't over the past couple weeks and over the past week or so. We've had uh, just a whole lot of rain. And even though the temperature, the thermometer says it's 55 degrees, it doesn't feel like 55 degrees out there with, you know, all the moisture in the air and everything. Okay, so this year being unique, what is unique about this year? Well, every year is unique, first of all. And um, the the way that the temperatures jumped up early and really woke all the plants up, like you said, and, uh, you know, the magnolias and things like that, and, and really pushed a lot of tender growth. And then for us to, to slide back down, we were having, uh, you know, like 25-degree nights. And it's not so much the daytime temperatures as it is the nighttime temperatures that we watch. We had uh, a truckload of Japanese maples come across on the Tuesday that we had the 25-degree night, and they were in full leaf because they were in the tractor trailer and they thought it was they thought it was May. Mm-hmm. So we kept um I think it was over 20 skids of Japanese maples like protected in our warehouse. So you know, and people were putting sheets over their plants and 
So there, there is definitely some lingering damage. We are seeing people's leaves that have scrunchy ends or blackened ends from those cold temperatures on the tender foliage. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned to me before the show that uh, a lot of people this year that were planting their vegetable gardens too soon. Well, the gardeners and patients will never mix. <laughs> it's just not, I just, know. I can say it's, waiting it's, till Mother's Day. Yeah, exactly. You really got to work on that. And when the warm temperatures surge up, like you want to get, you want to get those vegetable plants in, you know, and you really start looking forward into spring instead of staying in your moment. And um, the worst things you could be doing right now are like planting your bean seeds, your eggplants, your cucumbers, your squash, your, like all those warm season your hot peppers they're called hot peppers for a reason like they they like that's not to do with that taste well yeah and yes Um, okay (laughs) well they like the warmer climate so it's not just the cold temperatures in the air it's also the soil is colder so if you if you run into that impatience and plant too early then your root systems stunt and they're like, well, this isn't this isn't very fun, or this isn't very nice. So they sit and pout for two weeks anyway. So if you can be a little more patient and wait just a little bit longer while the temperatures start to regulate, they'll they'll take off faster. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It is our annual, or maybe I should say our perennial. Like you like you like I that do. our perennial spring garden and uh, planning show with Erica Joe Schaefer, nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill, and we have a lot of lines open right now. If you have questions, one eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two. Send an email to smarttalk at witf dot org. You also can leave a question on WITF's Facebook page, and we're also telling you to send your photographs. If uh, I don't know, hopefully the cold weather hasn't uh, killed them, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Send your photographs of you know, what you want everyone to see out there to uh, WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. All right, Holly asked a question on our uh, Facebook page. She says that uh, I have invasive Queen Anne's, or yeah, Queen Anne's lace. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm, tr- I'm trying to move some things around this computer. How do I get rid of them without resorting to chemicals? Uh they're another they're another plant that has a tap root. So the way to get rid of them, first of all, the funnest way to get rid of them is uh, keep making uh, pressed flowers. Um, keep plucking the flowers off and make pressed flowers out of them and use them for snowflakes in your Christmas cards. <laughs> the second reason, the second way to get rid of them, because if once they go to seed is why you're getting so very many of them. So you can't let them go to seed. So as soon as the flower finishes, it starts to curl up into a ball. They've got to go then. So just keep cutting, cutting, cutting. And since they have a tap root, you can use a dandelion digger and pop the pop the root systems out, which if you've got quite a patch will be tedious. And thank you for not using chemicals. And you can do it. Okay. A dandelion digger? A dandelion digger. Yeah. It's a tool that's got a a regular handle like you would find on a trowel and then a shaft. And then at the end, it's got a piece that kind of looks like a forked tongue. Uh So you push it down in and then just pop pop it back and it pops I've seen them and I used them but I didn't realize that those were called dandelion dandelion diggers oh. yeah so you can roast roast the root and make um, healthy tea okay <laughs> uh, Lewis is in Rocktown Lewis you live in Rocktown I don't know where how you're ever going to grow in any... where Rockton Rockton where's that it's in Illinois Oh. oh wow! Okay, well, Hi. How, how do you grow Hi. anything in Rockton? If it, you know, it has to be named after something. Rocktown originally. 
I'm sorry, I didn't get your question. Okay, never mind. All right, what, what is your question? Well, my question is, I put a butterfly garden in last year, mm-hmm. and um, I purchased these royal uh, butterfly bush royal reds, and they they budded out last year. You know, I put them in in, in May, May 14th, mm-hmm. and they budded out. And then now this year, I'm looking at it, and it looks like dead wood, and I'm just afraid. How do unless they're they're late to bloom? Um, but I see no buds. The, the, the limbs look kind of uh, dead wood when I snap them. So what, think- yeah, so what you want to do is uh, you want to cut them down to about knee high. And then oh. when you're cutting them, when you get to that point, uh-huh. really, really look at that cut area of the stem and see if you can see some green at least okay. around the perimeter of the edges right underneath the bark. I'm not okay. sure what kind of a winter you had in Illinois. Sometimes um, It was pretty mild this year. Yeah, and and they are they do leaf out later, and we're having oh, at least here in Pennsylvania, we're having a very extended long cold spring. Uh huh. Well, we are you, too. Actually, yeah. our weather's just like your weather. Yeah, you should start. You should be seeing something at least low. So cut it down into that knee high sort of area, and okay. see if you see some green. And um, you're gonna have to wait for some warmer weather. Royal Red is a hardy variety. Okay. And so as long as it wasn't in an area that was low and wet through the winter, as the snow melted, you should. It should it should be no, okay. It really wasn't low and wet, but it is it is prone to deer. Yeah, well, deer don't deer actually deer. Yeah, deer don't <laughs> deer don't usually like butterfly bushes, so it wouldn't that wouldn't cause their demise for if okay. they made it through the winter or not. It would be cold temperatures or wet soil. Okay. Thank you very Thank much you. for your call. Getting calls from Illinois. I know we're we're pretty famous we're worldwide. here. Worldwide. Wow. Linda in Middletown is on the line. Little Linda, you're on the air. Hello, Linda. How about uh, Catherine from Cleona? All right, I don't know what we have there, but uh, by the way, if you're calling in, we are getting a lot of calls all at once, so uh, do be patient, and uh, we will get to you as soon as we can. Let's see, we had Laura in Mifflinburg who sends an email. What do you suggest folks use to wash edible flowers so that we are not eating, th- is it th- thrip insects embedded in all pollen, vinegar? Um, you can wash your you can wash your flowers your edible flowers in a vinegar solution. Actually, just soak them. Um, I'm not sure the ratio. I would guess probably a fifty fifty. I'm sure that that uh, information is more in line. It's not in my head because uh, I know that um, with vegetables, whatever uh, you're getting at the grocery store, if you're not getting organic, and and if you are getting organic, you can do a, a vinegar solution for them too to help uh, take off any any residue of any anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to Nick in Bainbridge. Nick, you're on the air. Uh, hi, how you doing today? We're doing well. Hi. Um, my question is, I was, I was wondering about planting like wildflower gardens to help with the uh, you know bee and butterfly populations that have been dying because of the toxic corn pollen. Thank you very much for doing your part to save them. <clears throat> so, I mean, can I just buy like a packet of wildflower seeds and just throw them in my yard, or does it have to be like tilled soil, or like what's well, the best way to go about yeah, getting that started? Yeah, you can do that, and the success rate on that is not really good because um, whatever area you're going to put them in, the regular weed seeds are also going to be fighting for their space. So when they first come up, there's this whole, I wonder if that's a weed seed, or I wonder if that's something that I actually want. So to right. be like 100% successful would be to buy starter perennials that are already planted and start putting them in like at two feet spacing and then run your when you're 
put your wildflower seeds in there as well and then mulch the area so that you don't get that weed that weed population that surges in as well. Okay, cool. So, yeah, so at least do some, you know, plants and the seeds. All right, Nick. Hey, thank you very thank much you. for your call. You know, I have to say that uh, it's, it's a good surprise, but uh, that so many people are knowledgeable about the pollinators. Oh, and, it's fantastic. how we've had such a problem here over the last decade or so. Yeah. And want to do their part to bring them back. Well, I think it's interesting in a uh, maybe strange sort of way that, um, you know, as, as the focus turn to oh my goodness the bees the bees and the butterflies and you know everyone started to turn like what's happening what's happening is it does raise the it does raise the conversation so that people start talking about it and focuses in on okay what can we do so that's like it's excellent that people are using fewer chemicals and that are planting things to encourage like like leaving their dandelions Mm. Yeah, you, you, is there a National Dandelion Association? You I have a sticker on my car that says I love dandelions. I, I do am, get some looks, and they're not all—they're not all pleasant. I, I have to admit. I imagine so. Yeah. Let me uh, go to the line here, and let's see—is it Kathy? Um, yeah, Kathy is in Camp Hill. Camp, uh, Kathy, you're on the air. Hi, Erica. Hi. Um, How you doing? I I have a pond in my backyard that gets the full sun during the day. And I've tried potato vines in there, alternated with, um, oh, I forget what I had last year. But I'm looking for some kind of a flower that will bloom all year round and tolerate, spread and tolerate the full sun. Did you, you said a pot, not a pond, right? Pond, pond. pond. You have a pond, yeah. a pond. Pond, right. And you want. You know, they have water in them. <laughs> no more dandelion bread for you. That's it. Um, yeah, so. Uh, there, there are in the in the water garden, you know, the water garden choices. There are tropical plants that you can get too that would give you a longer bloom time. Um, the, and the water hyacinths, you know, the floaters on top also give you. You can get tropical water lilies that bloom longer. You can get tropical. I, I don't mean in the water. I mean around the around plant. the edges. Does it? Yeah. Does it have to be perennial? I, I, no, I don't care. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's cool. No, that's cool. For hot sun, one of my favorite favorites is uh, hummingbird sage, or okay. uh, it's also called black and blue sage. It's a um, cobalt blue and black that attracts hummingbirds. Any of the sages are awesome. Um, okay. Do you have them in stock now? Um, we'll be getting them in, and the reason we, uh, and maybe we'll have them in this week because of the cold temperatures, and since, since they're such heat lovers. Mm-hmm. That's one of the ones that we kind of wait on um, until we get them in. And uh, gazanias I love in full sun. Okay. Uh, there, there are portulacas, especially the hybrid portulacas are awesome. There's, okay. yeah, there's, there's really, there's a good crayon box for that one as well. Absolutely. Okay, great. Hey, thank, thank you, you very much for your thank call. You. Manuel in Carlisle sends us an email and says, I have some fairly acidic soil and my yard garden gets about four hours of sunlight a day at most. What vegetable plants are my options? Also, what would I need to do to get American beautyberry to grow on the fringes of my yard where I do get a bit more sunlight up to eight hours during summer? Well, American beautyberries are actually pretty vigorous, so I don't know how, um, unless your soil, and what, what you mean by very acidic is is uh, one of those phrases where I'm like, well, what does that mean? So I would suggest that first you get a soil test and see what what is your acidic rate so that you can see if we need to add lime and bring it up to a spot where you're your uh, plants, you have a greater number of plants that you can get. Most vegetables are going to want more than what your uh, sounds like you can give them unless you get to the very edges. Six hours of sun is where most of the vegetables are going to sit. If your soil is so acidic that um, 
trying to add lime and bring it up to another point would be uh, difficult, challenging. Then you might want to try doing them in pots too, so you have more control over the pH of the soil. So herbs, actually a lot of the herbs don't mind being in the shade. and I think you'll find that a lot of the vegetables you're going to need to run out into. Hopefully, you've got some some edges where you'd find six hours of sun. So start with a start with a soil test, uh, pH soil test, and uh, which you can get like they're like a buck twenty nine. You can do it yourself. It's super easy, and you know start to bring that up if it's that low. And if it's not that low, then it's almost a non factor. Keep talking mouthful. I know you're hey, really loving on that bread. Andrew is on the line. Andrew's from Harrisburg. Andrew, you're on the air. Hi, good afternoon. I mean, good morning. morning. Um, Thank you for the show, Danielle. I am lovers. Um, I was married to a Greek gal, um, Mm -hmm. and she talked about her grandfather that had come over from the islands and used to collect dandelion greens, which in Greek is called horta. Horta. I love that. Horta. See. And they just you know, parboiled it in olive oil or sauteed it in olive oil, garlic, Mm. and that's it. Yum. And I have witnessed here living on North 2nd Street in Harrisburg, Chinese ladies, and I'm going to say South Americans, harvesting stuff off the riverbank. Maybe they're harvesting greens. I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. So interesting, so, yeah. So your question... Back to the dandelion greens, and I've heard of dandelion wine. Mm-hmm. So yep. can you eat the dandelion greens? Yes, absolutely. You can, And you can eat the roots, and you can eat the flower petals, which is what Scott keeps coming back over to this bread. It's uh, secretly infusing him. <laughs> and the dandelion greens, yes. And the neat thing, or the thing to, that for me about that is here we are with these other countries who haven't been manipulated by the lawn care companies to kill all their dandelions, and they, they recognize the value of this, this plant. Right, and I actually had a laugh. I was taking my usual daily walk after work, and uh, this two bicyclists went past and saw this group of ladies harvesting these into plastic bags and said, thank you. Mm. And I realized they were thanking them. They were thinking they were picking up garbage. <laughs> oh. Hey, Andrew, thank you very Gratitude much Gratitude is call. good, no matter how it comes. <laughs> All right, let's take a phone call from uh, Catherine. This is uh, Catherine who had called earlier in Cleona. Catherine, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Scott and Erica. Good morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to talk about this on a rainy day. Mm-hmm. I have a question about my weeping cherry trees. Uh, last year they bloomed pink and white. This year I got no blooms. Just leave. Uh, I would I would suspect that that when we had that warm surge when it went up to you know seventy five almost eighty I think almost eighty degrees or even eighty degrees early cherry trees are so early blooming that that would have surged those flower buds forward and then as we dropped into those cold nights I bet they froze like the temperature yeah. dropped to a point where the flower the flower petals just froze and then didn't open so yeah. Better luck next year. Uh, so it's but, nothing but down do. the street, down the street, another weeping cherry uh, is blooming. So my my second question is: um, Last year, I noticed some oozy stuff coming out of the bark. It almost mm-hmm. looked like worms. Um, so I don't know. There, there are, well, any, well, any of the, any of the cherry family, it's uh, prunus is the genus. They do, they're, they're considered more short-lived trees, like 25 to 30 years, and they do start to fall apart, a lot of them. And oh. um, that could, yes, that could be some sort of a fungal infection. And it still should have flowered. There's, there's microclimates within 
um, anybody's yard from one neighbor to the next where you can see like somebody's yard where the frost seems to lay longer, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So if you were at a warmer spot, your cherry tree would have been even a day ahead of your neighbor's cherry tree and the blossoms surging to open, then that would have been affected by that cold. Mm-hmm. So okay. yeah, you, you. yeah, bring Thank me a picture. Much, okay, uh, we have an email here get a lot of great emails. And by the way, I remind you that uh, Erica sticks around and answers all your questions. Uh, please educate the public about the importance of not planting invasive species. <clears throat> invasive plants displace natives and disrupt ecological systems. Many non-native plants are not invasive. However, many garden centers sell invasive non-natives locally. Let me uh, just move down here. Pr- uh, propagated native species should be used as often as possible. Um. Yes, I agree, and um, we we are watching that. There's there's like barberries that uh, to say, for example, in barberry land. Actually, she mentions barberries. Yeah, so. but in barberry land, there are barberry varieties that get hundreds and hundreds of fruit on them that the birds recognize as fruit, and they they are polluting our native areas. I went to a park once um, down below uh, Gettysburg, and you couldn't walk the trails because the barberry was so thick. So yes, displacing. There are barberry varieties that have hardly any seeds that still, even though it's not a native species, um, can be uh, something that used it. So the, you know, the trick is to know, you know, if your garden center cares, and if they're watching that kind of stuff. The same with butterfly bushes. There are now sterile butterfly bushes, and it's not native, and the butterflies. Um, uh, do recognize them as food, and then there's the argument. Well, you know, it's it, uh, there's. Uh, I was told that that's more like fast food, so it doesn't have the nutritional value of, say, a butterfly weed. And well, wherever butterfly bushes are, the butterflies know, and the butterflies migrate. And so, I think there's a lot of gray area in there. I'm a huge supporter of planting native species for the native butterflies, for our native flora and fauna, and in, in, in every means that that means. And I'm a landscape designer, and I don't limit my crayon box. Now, having said that, though, I'm so careful about the invasive, the invasive qualities of any of that. And um, as our garden center goes, we watch, we watch, and we're on top of that, so that we're not helping spread that. So much of it is already out there that that now trying to get a handle. Multiflora rose, like that was that was planted um, for forage, like through our through our game lands and. Everyone thought it would be okay, and now it's horrible. Mm. All right, let's take a well, – well, let me see. We have an email here from June. It says, I know the daffodils have come up and are overblooming, but I have a question about getting them to bloom more next year. I have two mounds of daffodils that come up with wonderful foliage but get only one or two blooms. What do I do – what do I need to do to get them to <clears> bloom <throat> more next year? I have put fertilizer and bone meal on them, but that's not helped. Any suggestions? Yes, absolutely. So um, daffodils are such great multipliers – that every few years, three to five or so, somewhere in that vicinity, it's right after they get done flowering, your two flowers that are done, you can take a shovel and go around them and pop them up out of the ground and divide them all and put them back in clumps of like three to five because the tighter they get, the more they compete for the bone meal that you're giving them and for water and nutrients and all that. And they get so tight that they can't, um, they can't 
get the nutrients they need. And the other thing is, if you are cutting them off too early, the all the foliage that the bulbs have right now that's still up, they're done flowering, they're, they're basking in sunlight, which is giving them the energy to form that flower bud for next year. So if you're impatient and cut them down too early, your tulips, your daffodils, your hyacinths, any of your bulbs, even though they look awful, then you're, you're, you're cutting off a step that they need to give you next year's flower. And don't twist them all up either. I'm not going to say who, um, some very well-known, um, public figure, um, braids them. And then you've got these braids that are laying down with rubber bands on them that look horrid. (laughs) And then they can't, they can't get to the sunshine. So it actually makes them have to linger longer. What about mums? How do you bring back mums? Um, most of the time, uh, mums are considered an annual sort of thing. Like most people put them by their door or in pots. They freeze in the pots or by their door they get planted too late and they don't get an opportunity to root in. So if you want your mums to come back, you need to plant them earlier. Like when you first find that they start to be available, they need to go in the ground. Mm. Uh, You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. It is our annual spring planning and garden show with Erica Jo Schaefer, nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill. We have some open lines right now, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at WITF.org. Now, I don't know whether any photographs are coming into WITF's Facebook page, but I encourage you to do that as well so everyone can enjoy what you're growing uh, at your home or wherever you're growing. Okay, so let's go to Mike in Harrisburg. Mike, you're on the air. Morning. Morning. Appreciate Morning. Of the, uh, the benefits of dandelion, but uh, what what about the fact that the base plant, the leaves, are so sprawling? Well, first of all, I think they're kind of ugly. Uh-oh. Aren't, aren't they crowding out uh, the grass that's trying to grow? Mike. I have a neighbor whose yard is practically uh, planted in dandelions, and uh, he can't seem to grow any grass. Yeah. See, Mike, I have to tell you, I'm on your side on this one. Even though Erica is, like, uh, frowning, she has a raised eyebrow right now. (laughs) But he's right. What about those broad leaves? Well, dandelions are opportunistic. So wow. I know, right? So, <laughs> so it's not it's not that the dandel. I mean, the dandelions. Yes, the dandelions are taking up what some people might think is their more than their fair share of land space, and um, if the grass is not vigorous, if you are chemically feeding your grass so that they are like feast or famine, like you hit them with a, a chemical fertilizer, and they're like, oh, this is so totally awesome, and then it just starts to fade off, and then they're starving. And it goes through this thing, uh, this ebb and flow of food, as opposed to an organic fertilizer where it's just slowly releasing um, through a period of time. If your grass is not happy, then the so-called weeds move in, including the dandelions. They're opportunistic. If there's bare soil, you're going to have weeds. If you want to not have those weeds, then you have to address your pH. You have to address your your soil nutrition. You have to do the, uh, you know, the aerations. You have to make it a place where grass wants to grow instead of like your neighbor has is cultivating a place where dandelions want to grow. Okay, so healthy grass. Yes. Is, from what she's saying. It sounds like healthy grass is the answer to uh, getting rid of or reducing the number of dandelions. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you very much for your call. Let's see. Let's go to Corey in Lancaster. Corey, you're on the air. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. 
Um, you had uh, someone raised a question about invasive species just a bit ago, and uh, it, it, it reminded me of, well, frequently when I'm driving around, I see stands of uh, bamboo growing up. Ugh. And it's 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 an it's incredibly vigorous. It takes over, and um, I still see that you know you can buy the little bamboo plants at the grocery store. Um, just in fact, the other weekend at our our church, someone gave a bamboo plant as a gift, and I I kind of cringed. And so my question is, do you know of any efforts, say on the state level, or you know what what's to be done to curb? proliferation of this incredibly vigorous invasive species uh, yeah so the the plant that was given at your church is called a lucky bamboo and it's not a bamboo it's it's actually oh. a dracaena or a dragon tree and it, they call it a lucky bamboo because it has that look it's not really a bamboo it's a house plant and it, it's grown oh. in water so that's that the other though the invasiveness of there's two different kinds of bamboo in the world there's running bamboo which is this invasive stuff that we're seeing and then there's clumping bamboo that that actually forms a, a pretty nice clump you still get to have the look without your neighbors hating you the, there, there are companies now who are specializing in barriers. The barriers need to be 24 inches down or the bamboo will go up and under. They also have to be like six inches up over the ground or they go up and over. And once they're planted, it's it's so awful. I don't know of any state effort. I think that uh, it's an awful thing. And, um, you know, when they were being planted, people didn't know. And, you know, the wind going through them, there's a sort of like a sound thing that people are attracted to. And once you've got them for four or five years, you're like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? And then your neighbors hate you and then there's lawsuits <laughs> and it's a whole thing. So I don't know of, I don't know of any state level thing that's happening. I think it's left to the homeowners to fight amongst themselves. Hey, thank you very much for your call. 24 inches down. 24 inches down. That's invasive as hell. It is. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And it, and and they don't know property lines, so they just move, 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 move. Right. Yeah. All right. Let's they go run. to Ellen in Hanover. Ellen, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my question is about some hawthorn trees that are on my property. They have developed an ugly black... Um, it's called a cedar quince rust. Yep, cedar apple rust. And yep. um, the Penn State Extension website says to spray them with a fungicide, but it doesn't give any details. Um, I don't know what to use or how to apply it. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, there's actually there's a couple of them that will do cedar apple rust, and cedar apple rust is a funny sort of thing because it needs junipers. On junipers, it looks like this globby yellow weird strange from another planet weirdness like these big globby yellow things and then when they spore they spore over to the hawthorn and the apple trees and then they become the black spots the cedar apple rust spots that are on your leaves so if you have junipers that's that's feeding into the life cycle of that particular fungus as far as spraying for yourself there are multiple sprays and you know you stop by any garden center um you know, we can tell you what it is. And um, if there are a lot and you've got large ones, you might even want to look at uh, someone who's a professional sprayer, tree sprayer, to um, spray so that they're done, um, you know, effectively. Sometimes as a homeowner, you can't get the right yeah. concentration of chemical right. or you can't spray far and high enough. And if someone, which someone must have, the junipers, um, either in their yard, maybe you've got them in your yard, as long as there are junipers, you're going to continue to have that problem. I don't think there are any junipers around here, but I'll have to double check that. Yeah, um, and, and keep them real healthy. Like, make sure they're fertilized as we go through the summer, in the hot part of the summer. Make sure you water them. Uh, a plant that's weaker 
Um, make sure there's mulch rings around them that look like bowls, not volcanoes. Right. Um, if they're weaker, they're going to be more susceptible to getting it, and it's something that they get. So. Okay. Well, these, you know, up to about 10 or 12 feet, they look fine. And then the top part is hardly any leaves, and it's got these black. It's not on the leaves. It's on the on the twigs. Yeah, I would I would call one of the um, one of our area uh, companies that do spray trees and okay. have them do an on-site visit and make sure like what can be done. Okay. Right. Thank you very much for your call. Had a caller who uh, didn't want to go in the air suggested to counter those quick cold nights right before sunset, coat the trees with water. I know a few weeks ago I uh, um, talked with a fruit grower, and that was one of the things that they were talking about is mm-hmm. uh, actually when there was a freeze expected. To, to even put some water on the trees, which seems counterintuitive. Well, they do. They do. The fruit tree growers do a mist all night, though. It's not just water them before you go in. And, you know, the water does put a coating on. So as long as it's not a windy night where the water that you're putting on the plant dries out fast, it does provide a protective a protective layer, even if it's temporary. And again, in the fruit trees, um, they they they're doing a mist, so they're constantly wet all night long. And that's the very, I know it is. It's kind of cool though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Lisa in Bloomsburg. Lisa, you're on the air. Hi. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Um, I, I'm trying to grow some grass, and I'd like to put some fertilizer on the existing grass. And I know um, you had talked about some products earlier, some organics. Do you have any recommendations um, for organic fertilizers? For lawns. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Espoma Company. It's E S P O M A. They've been doing organic type products for a really long time. They're not someone who just jumped on the bandwagon. So they've really been able to fine tune their starter fertilizers, their regular lawn fertilizers, um, even their garden fertilizers. Like they're just it's a really great company, and um, I like that they've been around and you know working their magic for a long time. Okay, because I know that I, I just heard that Ortho was taking nicotinamides out of their products um, to help save the environment. I was wondering if you still think that that would be a safe product yet, or um, it's, it's just not organic and not. I don't know if I'm allowed to really bash other companies <laughs> on the air, so I'm just going to say I'm a it's real fan. Opinion. It's just an yeah, opinion. Right, right. it's my opinion. So my opinion is that I'm a huge fan of Espoma because they've been doing <laughs> organic for a long time, and that, in okay. my opinion, Ortho has jumped on the bandwagon and has been using chemical uh, chemical means for a long time. So I'm all about Espoma everything. All right. Thank okay. you very much for your Thanks. call. Let's see. Let's go to Jim in Steelton. Jim, you're on the air. Maybe this isn't Jim. Let me just uh, let me put this person on hold. We get a lot of calls like this. It uh, takes a little juggling. Jim, is that you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Jim. I'm here. Can you Hi, hear Jim. me? Yeah, we got you, Jim. We got you. Yeah, my question is that I have some. I have a whole bunch of evergreens that surround my whole property. Uh, Douglas fir, blue spruce, and one tree that was 40 foot high. It was so thick. It took three years, and it lost all its needles. It turned to a skeleton, and I had to cut it down. And I have. My blue spruce are starting to lose their needles. I have another Douglas fir, and they're all just dying one by one over time. You know what that could be. Yeah, the Douglas fir is very specifically um, a fungal uh, infestation called Rob decline. And uh, um, that's just awful, the way that it's devastating all of our Douglas firs. And that's exactly how it happens, where it's like you just kind of, it's like gorgeous. And then you're like, oh, you know. It kind of looks a little thin or doesn't look quite right. And by then, it's really too late for you to do anything about it. It's 
it's a whole, it's everywhere. Like if you start driving around and just looking, you'll see so many Douglas firs that are being affected by this. I believe again, um, if you get with a tree company, a good tree company, that um, there can be some uh, preemptive strike type fungus fun, fungicide applications that might help that. The blue spruces too. The blue spruces they're actually Colorado blue spruce, so they're used to colder temperatures and they're used to cooler summers. That's where the problem in my eyes is, is that our humidity in the summer is not something that Colorado blue spruces are used to experiencing. So now as they've grown older in our, in our landscapes, they're, they're also, they're starting to decline for um, environmental reasons. And then once they get kind of sick-ish, then fungal spores are moving in on them. So you've really got yourself a quandary there. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely recommend no blue spruce or Douglas fir planting, right? At this, at this point in our in our, you know, landscaping. Really? Yeah. You know, it's these, just... these trees are 20 some years old yeah, and they're, yeah. they're beautiful and they're yep. huge and it's a shame. Yeah. It's now so sad. Dying. Yeah. It's so sad. And there's really, again, uh, I would, I would highly recommend you call one of our quality tree companies and get them in there and see what can be done. And any of the ones that already look skeleton ish, there's, there's like, it's so super sad. Like you need to, you're going to need to replace them, not with Douglas firs or blue spruces. All right. Thank there's you very much. supposedly that, that, that grows real fast i heard and it doesn't it grows healthy it's, it's, it's evergreen my brother told me he's a tree climber well you know what that tree is well there's there's two that fit that bill one is called the leyland cypress which grows three to five feet a year they are starting to have also have some huge issues especially root fungus issues so i absolutely don't recommend them and then our uh the green giant arbovitae which it's not the stuffy little you know, upright skinny. They do look like evergreen trees and they can grow three feet a year. They've got some native blood in them. So uh, I'm, I see those as gorgeous. They really fit the bill. They, they grow quick. They're available, um, you know, in a variety of sizes and um, they're gorgeous. They're so dark forest green and really beautiful. So I'd lean so off. I probably and, will lose all my trees and my blues, my Colorados and my, uh, my other Without without seeing them, I would say that you need to. I, w I would, if I were you, I would start taking steps to know that that's most likely what's going to happen. Yes. Hate to hear what's that, Jim. It, what's it called again? A green giant, green giant arborvitae. Green no, the giant. disease on the trees. Oh, Rob decline. What decline? Rob. Rob. Rob, okay, thank you. Thank you, Jim. I hate to hear that. Yeah, it's so sad, and there are native trees, and that's, you know, goes back to our person who was talking, you know, only plant native, only plant native. Well, yes, and, like, all plants can have some issues, so the greater diversity that we can set in, the emerald ash borer, our ashes are, like, totally going down, and now they're finding it on our native fringe trees, which is so awful. Our our native dogwoods with the powdery mildew and anthracnose issues, so it's still the best plant for the spot that you're looking at. You really need to like, you know, it's it's hot, it's sunny, it's dry. Like my lady caller who wanted to know what around her pond, you know, like knowing what your situation is and your cultural requirements are and then finding the plant that fits that bill is like so important for longevity, mm. for health. All right, let's go back to the phone now. Linda is in Harrisburg. Linda, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I received a beautiful hydrangea, white hydrangea, as a gift. We live on a property that is about 60 acres of wood, so we don't have a lot of sunlight, and I'm wondering where I should plant it. Uh, hydrangeas are a shade-loving plant, and since you have that many woods, they're loved oh. by the deer. <laughs> the deer love hydrangeas, so oh, no. yeah, exactly. So that might that might be an issue. Uh, hydrangeas don't like the sun between 11 and 3. 
So if you can get them in the morning sun where they go into the shade at that point of the day, or if they start receiving the sun at three o'clock and after, then you're, then that's perfect. And I think your, your bigger issue is going to be deer munching. Okay. All right. How do you keep keep the deer from munching? Um, move to the city? Uh, <laughs> hey, that doesn't stop them anymore. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, there's, there's a number of repellents that you can try. They get used to the flavor, though, and deer will eat anything if they're hungry enough. There are lists of deer, they call them deer-resistant plants, which means if you have um, uh, like a pieris, which is also known as Andromeda by some people in some circles, um, next to a hydrangea, they're going to go for the hydrangea every time. They don't really dig the it's just like, you know, a buffet and everyone heads for the crab legs and the right. shrimp. The liver. And no. no one's eating the carrots. Yeah. Like that kind of a thing. So there are lists available of deer-resistant plants. And, and whoever that last person was, you need to, like, really explore that so you're not wasting your money. All right. Let's go to Aaron in Marysville. Aaron, how are you uh, getting through this 1115 oh, closure? awfulness. Oh, fine. Fine. Oh, good. All right. So what's your question? My question is, we have a black dragon wisteria that we received for our wedding present. Mm. And we planted it on the porch of an old Victorian home. But now that wisteria has gotten so large, it's starting to pull the pillar of the porch outward. And so I want to know if it is possible to transplant it or not. And if so, how? Uh, It is. And anything that you ever transplant, you've got kind of this 50-50% of, um, of success. And some, right. you know, some certainly more and some certainly less. So, uh, so this is a good question because when you're, when you're buying plants and planting plants, you really need to look out there at that 10-year and 15-year mark of what are they going to mm-hmm. be doing then so we don't have this kind of a thing. So what you would do, um, if you're going to wait for it to flower this year, if it's getting its flowers, since they're so amazing, is right yeah, after it flowers. Yeah, well, right after it gets done flowering or um, June, uh, whack it down to like knee high and dig it out and move it and put it okay. where somewhere where you know that that vigorousness is going to be appreciated. And you might find that you'll still get shoots that'll try to come up from the root system parts that you didn't get. So you'll have to continue to dig those out as you see those sprout. And then water whatever. Do we need to leave some green on it? Do we need to leave? Um, um, Not necessarily. Wisterias are pretty brutish. So as long as you're in that um, waist high to knee high sort of situation spot, um, whether there's green or not, that's not so important with them. On some plants, it absolutely is, and on wisterias, not so much. Hey, thank you very much for your call. Good luck, uh, Eric. We're almost out of time, and uh, we'll wow, tell our listeners. Quick. I know it always does Shoot. go fast, uh, and we have a lot of emails. And I know you stick around and yep. answer these on our website, witf.org. One question I did want to get to quickly, if we could, thirty seconds or less. Uh, we had someone. Who, who couldn't get on the air wanted to ask lives in a homeowners association but wants to know how they can encourage the homeowners to not use chemicals those homeowner associations are really um really a a, well she's part of the homeowner association really a challenge to to go through well and the homeowners associations as far as i know get to establish what is going to be established so i think there needs to be um for that and thank you very much for that consideration first of all is there needs to be uh most likely some sort of an education on um you know when you when you're spraying chemicals and if you're spraying the right chemicals and do you really need to spray the chemicals and then maybe an education that encourages you know the the glory of using organic lawn fertilizers homeowners actually 
misuse chemicals more than farmers will ever use misuse, and that's how we do that. Mm-hmm. So education is the answer. Erica Jo Schaefer is the nursery manager at Highland Gardens in Camp Hill, and she'll be sticking around to answer the questions that we didn't get to on the air on our website, WITF.org. Erica, always look forward to it. I'm looking forward to another piece of dandelion <laughs> blossom bread. Thank you very Thank much for you being everyone. with us. Thank you, everyone. Talk Love. to you tomorrow.